This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. We're not telling you to do uh, speculation type trading where we're saying buy low, sell high. We're telling you long-term buy and hold strategies. Yeah, and the quicker you can get in, the better it's for you because you benefit from compound interest. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today... We're talking about how to earn passive income through dividend investing. You might be asking, what is dividend investing? Well, that's what we're going to learn all about today. And to help us master dividend investing, I've invited Nadia Boussoy and Nicole Ozelge on the show today. Nadia and Nicole are ex-Wall Street executives, moms, and millionaires who reached financial independence in their 30s. They are also the dynamic duo behind The Wealth Twins, a YouTube channel and blog that's focused on helping others create and grow their wealth. When Nadia and Nicole aren't helping others grow their wealth, they enjoy cooking and traveling around the world. Welcome to the show, Nadia and Nicole. Thank you for having us, Andy. Thank you for having us, Andy. Absolutely. I'm glad to have you both here. And it'll be fun because uh, we're going to throw out some questions and we'll just figure out who's going to who's going to answer them. Right. So that's going to be fun. (laughs) You're going to get the twin phenomena. There we go. I love it. I love it. Well, let's let's take us back to the beginning of your journey. When did you two decide that you wanted to build wealth in the beginning? If you think about it, we grew up in a very poor one of the poorest neighborhoods in New York City. Right. So. We had a mother who worked very hard. She worked about seven days a week, six to seven days a week. And our main goal at that time was we need to get out of this neighborhood and we wanted to make life easier for her. Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily think it was more focused on building wealth. It was more like make money, make money. And a way that we thought about doing that is, okay, let's do well in school so that we can get a good job. And then we have a good job. You bring in more money and we can save that money and change our lifestyle. Once we did that, we actually did pretty well in school. Nadia and I ended up attending Columbia University. And then after that, we both got a job at Goldman Sachs. So we had the money part down, I think. (laughs) And then I think once we got into Goldman, that's when we started focusing on Building building wealth. Because that was the first time we actually saw people who actually had built wealth and not just focused on money. Because our mother, our father, everybody around us, they didn't have a checking account or a bank account. So we just knew about money. We didn't know about wealth. Yeah, it's a different mindset. Well, talk to me about that mindset. How, how do you how do you see that now between making money and building wealth? What what is the difference? I guess in in your eyes, Nicole, as you're as you're bringing it up. So you can see money is uh, I like to call it the flow of money versus the stack of wealth. You know, money can come and go. You can have a big paycheck and you can lose it if that paycheck is gone if you're not taking care of the money. But wealth can stack and you can continue to grow it. So when I stopped focusing on, I always focused on getting a bigger paycheck, but what to do with that paycheck in case that paycheck wasn't there anymore, that's when it became me changing my mindset to focus more on wealth. Yeah, it's more of a changing your mindset from a short-term thinking, I think more in terms of money, to long-term. How do you build something? And that's more in line with wealth. 
Got it. And it sounds like you two have been on a very similar path. The Columbia thing and then Goldman Sachs. Was it a package deal every time you went somewhere or what? I I (laughs) swore I was not going to work in the same place as her after college. I really swore that. And I got two offers. And one was to be an oil trader. And the only reason I didn't take it was because it's in Connecticut and I couldn't drive. I had just become a new driver. And Goldman was in New York City and I could take the train. And I said, oh, my gosh, you're going to be in the same company. And we confused everyone. <laughs> yeah, she was on the asset management side. I was on the broker dealer side. But the buildings are relatively close downtown. So if I was going to lunch, if she was going into the office, people would think they would see us. I'm like, why are you over here? Why are you How'd not? you get here so fast? Weren't yeah. you at the gym? And you changed your clothes, too. Yeah. What happened? A lot of people thought we had some, I guess, some psychological disorder. Yeah. And I just decided, you know, no matter how much I try to get away from her, our journey is connected from birth to, you know, to whenever. Okay. I love that. I think that's beautiful. So so did you guys go on a similar path with regard to building your wealth as well? I mean, obviously, you're working at the same places. Did you guys choose different paths to, you know, achieve this financial independence that you've that you that we've talked about? Well, I would say our paths were generally the same, except for the fact that Nicole went and got her MBA. So I decided to keep working instead of going to business school. But in terms Smart of a decision, I would say. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, like, since a very young age, we would save and we would save for our goals together. So we would pull our money together. So that just translated to us doing it as we got older until we got married. Then things started splitting off. But we always had the same goals and we always would keep each other accountable. So it was much easier to have the same path. And whenever someone learned something new, we shared it with the other one. So I just kept bringing it together. I would also think it was like a friendly competition. You don't want your sister having something that you don't have, you know, and people are very good at reminding twins that, you know, you have a twin, you know, so <laughs> you don't want to be too far behind on anything, money, weight, anything. You know? So I kept that journey, you know, pretty, pretty much similar. similar. But I would say I focused more on investing in stocks, why Nadia was really focused on, after we both decided we were going to be high savers, Nadia focused more on real real estate estate. than I did. So she knows much more on real estate, I would say. Well, that's cool. Let's let's, let's talk about that then. So Nicole, talk to us about how you use stocks to earn your financial independence. Mm -hmm. Well, first I made a ton of mistakes. Okay. I was buying penny stocks. I was buying stocks. I had no idea what they were about. And I just made a bunch of mistakes. But the first thing I did right was I got into my 401k very early. I was lucky enough to have a boss who took me aside and said, you know, Nicole, do you know about compound interest? And I said, no, I have no idea about this. He said, well, let me show you something. He just did a simple spreadsheet. He plugged in a couple of numbers and he said, this is about seven to nine percent return. Look, if you put this much money in now, look what can happen. I called Nadia the same day. I said, Nadia, you got to get into this 401k thing. Let's start this. So that's the first thing I did right was, you know, get into my 401k. And then from then, I learned to not really mess with single stocks. And I moved more towards index funds and ETFs. Nadia, so on your side, did you start with real estate right away or were you also going in your 401k? How did that work? Well, I did the 401k also because when she called me, I'm like, I'll be silly if I don't do this because they are matching us. Um, But I started putting more of an emphasis on saving up for a down payment for a house, because this was at the time when um, the real estate market in New York City was just blowing up like crazy. What year, what and, year was that uh, around that time? I want to say 2005, 2003. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. a lot of my coworkers were buying property or buying houses 
And I'm like, okay, I've been living in the same apartment for a while. Maybe it's time for me to try to buy something. But everywhere I went, I was outbidded. And I'm like, I grew up in New York my whole life. I know these properties are not worth this price. So I said, okay, let's save, be patient. And then when the time comes, you'll be able to buy. So I put more money into my savings account for a down payment and then funneled some money towards my 401k. I think it also gave you time to think too, because a lot of the people were going for, you know, uh, single owner houses or not a, uh, a two family or more, yeah, a multifamily. At, at this point, you have to understand when we were working on Wall Street, we went through a couple of crises, right? So you had the, the dot com mm-hmm. bubble burst, like the year that we got out of school. Then you had September 11th happen right shortly right after that. Then you had the recession of 2007. So all this time it's happening. We're working in a place that's very sensitive to those changes. So you see people who have been working for 20 or 30 years get let go right away. And these people have mortgages. They have children. They have children in private school. They have mm-hmm. a lot of debt. And to see them within a day, everything changes. That made you say, OK, I have to change the way I think about this. If I'm looking for a property, why am I going to put such a high price ticket over my head? I'm going to look for more of a multifamily type of property. So I'll get help paying that mortgage. Yeah, on top of that, we realized that a job was very risky. And that's the first thing, even no matter how many years you were working, we knew that anybody can be touched. Yeah, yeah it would be yeah. changed. Like, really yeah, that's cool. a good point, Nicole. So, I mean, you saw some of those things happening. Mm-hmm. Was that part of your reason for wanting to save a, a big boatload of your income, knowing you probably had a good income at Goldman Sachs, seeing that adversity that other people had gone through? Mm-hmm. Uh, did that make you want to save a, a lot of your income? Well, it, it, it did. And it gave me two visions of it, too. One that it didn't matter how much money you made is what you did with that money is how much you saved. Cause there were some people that got let go and couldn't deal with it. There were some I saw come back the next day because they couldn't even bear to tell their family that they were let go. And I was kind of scared. Yeah. And I would say, wow, this person really depends on his job so much. And that was one thing I said, their money is not in order. Then I saw some who were begging to be laid off. You know, I had a coworker that said, lay me off because they were given packages. And she's like, I'm ready. Give me a package. I got ideas. I got plans. And I was like, whoa, she wants to get laid off. It's okay. There's two different, you know, stories being told right here. And I just had to look at it. And that made me say, okay. And that person actually wanted to be laid off. She actually gave me one of my first financial advice. She said, Nicole, whenever you make a dollar, save 10 cents. And when I saw her asking to be laid off, I said, okay, she knows something you know, that someone else might not know. So I should listen to her. So she just helped me keep up that saving mentality. Now, and I also want to state that just because you work at Goldman Sachs, not everybody is a millionaire there. <laughs> there's different pay grades, there's different levels. But um, what you can do, what we did personally, we're leveraged, we leveraged the reputation that Goldman had to push us up to higher paying jobs, right? So you use a reputation, you use the people around you to learn about wealth, and then you can move yourself up quicker up the income ladder by jumping to another company if you have to. It's quicker than staying in that company and working your way up to that pay grade. Mm-hmm. You know, So we use that. And what we did was, OK, let's ignore lifestyle creep. We're going to we're very frugal people just because we're making more does not mean we need to change our lifestyle. Right. And that's what really helped us. At, at one point, I think we were saving 50 to 75 percent of our income. 
Yeah, that's yep. that's amazing. Yeah, and, and to your point, I, maybe it was the word gold in the uh, in in the name of the company that I thought it was <laughs> for the for the income. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, you, there are people making good money there. there, you go, <laughs> there. That's so good money, right? Yeah, and that's a big part of it too. Is 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 creating that gap between your income and your expenses, and then investing the rest. And it sounds like that's what you guys both did, uh, both from the four hundred one k side and real estate. Any other investing avenues that you took on during that time frame or that wealth building? Uh, time frame that helped you to reach financial independence? No, I think we kept it pretty simple. No, I st- we I stepped out of the 401k because when I left Goldman, you have a lot of restrictions when you're in an investment bank on what you can invest in, right? You can't have outside brokerage accounts. So when I left that and I went, I after I went into consulting, I was freed up a little bit more to start changing where I invested my money. So I opened up different brokerage accounts and started funneling money into that. So I went in more risky stock purchases. So I was out of the 401k, I had money into my new company's account, Mm -hmm. but I also started focusing more on my brokerage account too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it, got it. One question I have with regard to somebody investing in their 401k for a while, let's say they're doing it aggressively, maybe maxing it out and taking advantage of that company match. When you get to that point of saying, "Hey, I'm gonna, you know, live off of my my investments," how do you do that if that's a pre-tax uh, investment uh, uh, vehicle that that is required for retirement? If you're looking to reach financial independence in your 30s or 40s, is that something you just uh, are investing in other avenues to do that financial independence? Then, or are you leaving that alone? How does that work? I think you should leave it alone because you're going to be hit with taxes. So a lot of these guys that are doing it, they have multiple accounts. It's not just a 401k. They have an IRA. They also have a taxable account, you know, and those that have less restrictions on it. So if you want to live on your 401k by itself, that's a retirement account. You can't do that. And you should not touch it until it becomes tax, you know, a good way to do it with the tax, tax favorable. Got it. Got it. Well, look, talk to me about what financial independence means to you guys now and where you are. And like, what is a, what, what does it look like to be a millionaire mom in your, in your thirties and, and enjoying financial independence? Um, I mean, for me, it allowed me to stop working and stay at home with my kids, you know, and, uh, I actually haven't had a full-time job in over 10 years. This is my 10 year anniversary. I would say this year. Well, it's kind of scary to say that too, but you know, it allowed me to say, okay, we live a simple lifestyle, nothing fancier. So, but my mother, like Nadia mentioned earlier, she works seven days a week and she worked through the holidays and for long periods of time. And she was in her sixties and still working. I don't have to do that because of financial independence. And I'm very fortunate about that for that. And, and I understand that. So that is a big way that my lifestyle has changed. And money is really it's a secondary thing, I would say. Now, yeah. use money more as a tool, not as like something you're focused on all the time now. And it's easier for us to teach our kids more the value of money because you're not so focused on it, what it can do for you immediately. It's more teaching them long-term thinking. Yeah, it is. It's better for you now to say, "Don't take this opportunity because in the long run, it's not going to be the best one." It allows you to give, you know, yourself options. And I like to say too, I tell people, it's a self-care thing too. You know, and when it comes to money, if you focus on your money, you can focus on your weight, you can focus on quality of life and it makes things easier. So I use it as a form of self-care, which you definitely need as a mother of three. (laughs) 
Absolutely. We talked before the call. You, we got, uh, you guys are in the same area of that the below 10 range that can yeah. maybe drive you a little crazy, if, especially during coronavirus season. Exactly. <laughs> are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Investing. I know we talked about that at the top of the show. You guys have been very active on uh, YouTube talking about how this can be an important way to build up your financial independence or your passive income. So break things down for us a little bit. What is dividend investing? To me, I would say that dividend investing is more of a, think of it as buy and hold investing, right? And it's the only way for you to really make truly passive income in the stock market. Where else can you just take your initial payment? and then sit back and um, get funds coming into you. That's passive. I don't have to do anything else but sit there and wait for it. All I'm doing is holding that security. The company you invest in, they have to work for it. You know, They have to get a new project, do new things to earn that money, but you are getting that money just for holding the stock. And it's a long-term buy and hold strategy where I think the misconception that a lot of people think is that the way you make money in stocks is to buy low and sell high. And it's not the only way to do it. And it's not the safest way or 
the easiest way to do it. The easiest way to make money in the stock market is to do income investing, which is dividend investing. Focus on buying stocks for the income that it can provide. That is dividend investing. Got it. So talk to me about the difference of the the, the two avenues that I guess, can grow with the stock. So we've got the stock price that can grow mm-hmm. and then the dividend itself. Can we talk about the two differences there so people understand? Okay, so they're both. It's actually, I like to call it a triangle. It's my little coin, DPE triangle, okay? Because the part that a lot of people don't focus on is that they're all tied to earnings, okay? Dividends and price are both tied to earnings. So you want a company that's going to grow. Because if not, there's no reason to buy a company. That's why the price goes up. People are expecting that this company is earning and they're going to make more money. And therefore, it's a valuable company. Now, if a company does not grow as quickly as it should, the company has to give you an incentive to buy its stock. They do that through dividends. Dividends is a way to incentivize buyers to buy a company that's still a good company, but can't compete with another company that's growing at such a trajectory that they can't grow anymore because they're in a different stage of their life cycle. They're more mature companies yeah. that would do that. So that's how dividend and price. So you want to buy a company where a dividend is stable and growing. And if you can, the price is also appreciated. That's like fantastic. Yeah. So they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're all part of, and they all are at the end of the day tied to the earnings of the company because a healthy company will have healthy earnings. And the dividends are coming from the earnings of that company. Got it. Well, you, you two are all about keeping things simple, right? So how does somebody find a, a good company like that without pouring through the numbers and maybe not really knowing a lot about mm-hmm. all that detail? Well, what's a way that the everyday Joe could do that? Yeah, I'm going to tell Nicole to make it very simple. Yeah, not even... Not- <laughs> Not even chance to say, Nicole, you, you know, you're going off, but okay. No, I like the triangle. The triangle was, okay. the triangle like the was tri- good. Yeah, yeah, good one, right? I like that. <laughs> so <laughs> now when it comes to a good investment, that's kind of like, it can be a loaded term, what's good, right? Because it's relative to one person to the next because it's based on risk tolerance. But to keep it simple, the first thing you should do if you know nothing about stocks or dividends is to look at what products do you have in your house? Let's just keep it basic. Do you have Coca-Cola in your house? Do you have something from Procter & Gamble in your house? Do you have something from, I don't know, Target in your house? Okay. And you say, okay, this is a company I have in my house. This is a company I know. So the first thing you should do is focus on companies you know. And understand. And understand what they're doing to make money. Okay. Then you can then research to see, is that company a dividend paying stock? And you can do that by going to Yahoo Finance, Googling it, you know, or going to the actual company's page. After that, the second step you want to think about is dividends. And so, well, yeah, you pay dividends. Is it paying dividends? And what are these dividends doing? Did they cut a dividend recently or is a dividend stable or is a dividend growing? Okay. The third thing you want to look at is the yield. The yield, which a lot of people make it very complicated, but just think of it as the income you receive for holding the stock. And when you think of it as just income and just say, don't say dividend yield, just say yield, you can then compare it to different options, right? A savings account is a place where you can put money and get a yield of say 1%. That's a safe investment that you won't lose your money, but it's not yielding much. 
If you want something higher, you need to go into stuff like stocks, bonds, things of that, of that nature. So the yield of a stock, you want to benchmark it against the yield of a savings account. That will tell you how risky it is and how much of a return you can expect by putting your money in there. How much income? How much income you can expect by putting your money in that rather than putting into savings. a savings account. So that's a risk tolerance because you have some stocks that are giving you you know, 7%, 10%. But what do you need to give up? What risk are you putting in there to get a 7% return? Because it's very high over a savings account. Sure. When you say 7 to 10%, is that the growth of the stock itself as well as the dividend? That's the dividend or yield. Just the, just the dividend yield. Okay. Just the dividend yield. Got it. You can actually look at stocks and compare them just based on a dividend yield. Hmm. Which it. you can find the same place you find a stock on Yahoo Finance and even on the company stock page. It will tell you if it's a dividend stock, it will tell you the dividend yield of that stock. Got it. So you you said that uh, when you were doing your 401k, you, you got into index funds because it was simple and easy. Is there anything the equivalent of an index fund for dividend investing or, um, uh, with the stocks that you're talking about? Yeah, actually, dividend investing can be done with single stocks, index funds, and ETFs. You know, Vanguard is a great place. Fidelity, they all hold dividend index funds. And you can just type in dividend index funds and you will find them. Got it. Yeah, we've talked about the benefits of index funds on the show here, as well as just having the simplicity of them and just making it a little easier because the, I don't know, the searching and the making sure the company doesn't go bust, uh, you know, situation mm -hmm. of certain stocks can make people feel uneasy. But to your yeah. point, I think I think your point was find companies that have been around for a while that you use, that you know a little bit about, that, um, you know, don't feel intimidating, and then it won't be as, I guess, confusing. Is that is that right? Well, yeah, but on top of that, you can still do that same thing and invest in index funds. So let's go back to example of Coca-Cola, right? You can buy Coca-Cola as a single stock, but Coca-Cola is also one of the companies you can buy in the SPY ETF. And it's also part of an index fund. I don't know off the top of my head, but you can buy Coca-Cola in different ways. You can buy an index fund that has a portion of it to uh, hold a, a portion of Coca-Cola just like you would buy Coca-Cola outright. Yeah. So you can still buy a, something you know, but take away some of that risk and all that research you have to do by lowering the amount you own of it through the diversification that you find in an index fund. Am I getting too complicated? No, I think that's that. fine. Okay. That makes sense. So, so would, the, would the yield be a bit lower then if we were looking into an index fund because the growth opportunity would be higher? Yeah, so right now Coca-Cola... Uh, by itself has a, a dividend yield about close to 4%, right? But say um, SPY, which holds a portion of Coca-Cola as part of his holdings, I think the last time I checked was about 1.9%. So you're going to give up some dividend yield, but you're going to take away some of your risk. Got it. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. No, I, don't th I, don't, I think she did a pretty good job, Nadia. Absolutely. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> I did, that is from coming from a money nerd that, that just eats this stuff up. So I guess, okay. uh, it's depending, and I guess a lot of people who are listening to the show are a little bit money nerdish too. So, okay. uh, so how can somebody eventually live off of dividends? How, how could that be possible? I mean, that's true financial independence. Or it feels like financial independence to me where you've, that's uh -huh. just having the money come and you're just living off. And how, how does that happen? So like we said before, it's a long-term buy and hold strategy. So you also have to invest invest a lot to it because these dividends are quite small. So you have to have a lot of shares yeah, in these companies. Like $2 yeah. $5 here. 
it's not like a hundred dollar dividend every month. So it's a long term and you want to build up the portfolio. So in order to live off of just dividends, I was, you know, thinking of some number, let's say, I don't want to scare people, but it's such a number like a million. Let's do $750,000 you have invested in dividend stocks. We're talking over a 20 year time period, right? Or however fast you can get that 750,000. Dividend stock portfolio that's yielding 5%, okay? It's not that crazy, it can be done. 5%, that means 750,000, let's make it, that's 37,500 a year, okay? Now, you have, have you heard of the 4% rule that the fire guys like to use? Yeah. Okay, let's live off of 4%. 4% off of 750,000 is actually 30,000, okay? It's a 30,000. Not that she doesn't like my math, but you double <laughs> check enough. my numbers if you like, <laughs> right? You make it five percent, you're only taking out four percent. Got it. Okay. So one, you're not touching your principal, the seven hundred and fifty thousand, and you still have some dividends that you can have reinvested. But you can definitely live off of thirty thousand based on the lifestyle you want. So whatever the lifestyle you want, you have to figure out what that is. And then see what you need to be able to live off that number with just dividends. Yeah. Let's talk to the person who's saying, well, that sounds really nice to have $750,000 or a million dollars. That's going to take me forever. Can we talk about the steps that maybe would happen before that? I mean, wouldn't it be nice to have $10,000 extra to permanently to live off of to pay your whatever your mortgage or your, you know, your property taxes every year? I mean, are there steps along the way that can encourage people to see this as a lifestyle choice? Well, if you're just starting out and you don't have a lot of money to put away and start dividend investing, um, we just made a recent video about this, but I think people should look into fractional shares, right? Because you can purchase a ETF or a dividend paying stock as a fractional share. And that way you're using a little bit of money, but you're also being paid a dividend based on the amount of that share you own. So what is a fractional share? It's a fraction of a share. <laughs> fraction of a share. There you go. See, sometimes they have these yeah. big, complicated words, but if you break them down, that they, they're not that complicated. Yeah. So, like, say, here's an example. Amazon is not a dividend stock, but you can buy one share Amazon at nineteen hundred dollars, or you can buy a fraction of one share for say five dollars. It'll be a very small fraction, but yet you will own Amazon. Now there's. You can do that with ETFs. You can do that with dividend paying stocks. Yeah. That's why I get a lot of young people start getting interested in and say, oh, I don't have any money. Well, you can start off with little as a dollar or five dollars and start getting into some quality companies that do pay a dividend. So you do make a little bit of interest off of the money that you're putting into the stock market. And then when you see these little, you know, paychecks coming in, you're like, wow, this is great. And you can start putting money aside, you know, take five dollars, five dollars, five dollars and don't just invest the five dollars. Get it up to 100 and then invest that 100. So you want to just have whatever you do, you want to make it consistent. And as you get older, hopefully you'll be making more money. And as long as you keep that consistency and you build up the amount that you're investing, you'll you'll appreciate you'll it. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be surprised how fast it goes. Which brokerage firms uh, do the fractional shares? A lot of them are pushing it out now. Not everyone, but uh, like Charles Schwab does it. Fidelity does it. Um, Stockpile. Stockpile does it. I think Robinhood does it also. They're getting close to it. But uh, M1 Finance does Vanguard it. Vanguard does not do it, I believe. Vanguard doesn't do fractional. So some of the newer guys coming in do it. 
And then now, uh, now the bigger, older broker houses, brokers houses are doing it. So yeah. Charles Schwab just released it in uh, June, June, and actually Fidelity released June, it earlier this January. year. Yeah, yeah, what they're trying to do is entice the newer generations to start investing. They're dropping their fees in. There's like, oh, you can do stock slices or fractional shares. At it's this a point. great time to invest. It doesn't take much money, and it's a great habit to develop. That's great. That's great. Well, let's say there's somebody listening right now that says, hey, you know, I've got I've got a good amount of debt, though. Should I should I be investing right now? Should I try dividend investing or should I pay off that debt first? That's more probably a personal answer, because how does that debt make you feel? Does it keep you up at night? Does it are you always thinking about this debt? If that's the case, maybe it's better for you to pay off that debt first before you start investing. Right. Mm-hmm. And if that debt is at a high interest rate. But if you're borrowing money, say it's on a mortgage or whatever, and the rate is very low, under 3% or 3%, well, now the new mortgages, you'll probably get under 3%, which is fantastic. <laughs> but um, that basically, to me, it's free money. So why pay that off early? If you can, invest at the same time you're paying that debt. And make or, more, over 3%. Yeah, make more more than 3% on your investment. Or like pay the debt as you can, paying it off as a normal basis, but like funnel some money into investing, do both at the same time. It just depends on a person, how you can tolerate the debt that you have in your life. We don't see it as an either or. We don't think you should really, like we love paying off debt. We tell people pay it off, but we don't want you to have your past really affect that much of your future. Because no one would ever tell you, don't put into your 401k if you had debt. So it's the same thing. We're not telling you to do uh, speculation type trading where we're saying buy low, sell high. We're telling you long-term buy and hold strategies. Yeah. And the quicker you can get in, the better it's for you because you benefit from compound interest. And that's why I wanted to have you guys on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, somebody's listening right now and they are motivated by what you guys have done with your lives, as well as this whole idea of dividend investing. What is the first thing they should do following this interview if they're interested? I would say one, I mean, we kind of talked about it with financial independence and dividend investing. I would say first, learn your FIA number, which is uh, something you can look up. It's just, what is it 25 times your yearly expenses? The reason I like the FIA number, even if you don't want to use it to retire early, it means financial independence, retire early number. Even if you don't want to use it to retire, it gives you a number that you can use as a target to say, this is how much I want to have saved up. And I think having that number makes this more realistic. I think the problem is with a lot of people, they go, oh, I need millions to retire. or I need this. If you have a number, it, it becomes more real and you can use it as a target to hit. Then once you know your fire number, start looking more into dividend investing and different avenues of how you can get to that passive income number that you want. And also, how can you get to your FIRE number? Yeah, I think a lot of people get intimidated when people say, oh, FIRE, I have a million dollars. It all depends on what your yearly expenses are. You know, you can really control that number by dropping your expenses. You can live in a lower cost area. You can, you can live overseas. We can, yeah. It, that number is dependent on how you want to live your lifestyle. And then you can use dividend investing to bring money in to help you bring yourself closer to that number. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Control your expenses and then make a plan to where you want to go and and invest to get there. So that makes a lot of sense. Thank you both so much for your time. I've really enjoyed your YouTube channel. I've really enjoyed uh, checking out your blog. So where is the best place for people to connect with you if they want to learn more about what's going on with the Wealth Twins? Well, I think the best place you can connect with us is on our YouTube channel. It's uh, youtube.com slash wealth twins. We do weekly videos. 
And you can also hit us up on our blog at wealthwins.com. We answer every comment. We answer every question. And we would love to see you guys. Excellent. I can attest to that because I've been commenting and they've been writing back. Uh, Nadia and <laughs> Nicole, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you, you very Andy. much. Thank you for having us. Dividend investing is a smart and simple concept, and Nadia and Nicole are showing us the way to financial freedom. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Nadia Busoy and Nicole Ozelge. Number one, understand your annual expenses. When you know how much you spend each year, then you know how much you need to cover when it comes to investing for your financial independence. As Nadia and Nicole said, if you use the 4% withdrawal rate, that safe withdrawal rate on like a million dollar portfolio, then you can live on $40,000 per year. Do you spend $40,000 per year? If you don't know, you might want to find out. (laughs) Number two, invest for the long term. Attempting to buy low and sell high is a game that not many people can win. Instead, consider buying and holding for the long term. This strategy can help you earn more, create more recurring dividends, and potentially make you less stressed by not worrying about the volatility of that single stock you own. Number three. Take advantage of the tax-advantaged accounts. Nadia and Nicole's secret to millionaire success isn't such a secret. They invested in their 401ks, took advantage of the match, automated it, didn't touch it, and looked back years later and voila, millionaires. Now, the not touching it part, that might be the toughest part, especially if you've been affected by a layoff. And there's a lot of that going on right now. So if you can find a way to live on less, use your emergency fund and study your retirement funds and find new ways to make money during a tough time, then you too could become a millionaire just like Nicole and Nadia. Nadia and Nicole, thank you so much for sharing your financially independent millionaire success story with us. It was an honor to learn from you, and I think this is going to help a lot of people who are just starting their dividend investing journey. As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Hey, great news before we end the day. Marriage, Kids, and Money has been nominated for a Plutus Award for Best Family or Couples Financial Content. I am so pumped about this. Since the Plutus is like the Oscars of personal finance, this is such an honor, and I am just elated. So I will keep you all posted if we're successful and bringing home the gold this fall. You got to keep your fingers crossed for us because... It takes a village to bring home a Plutus. (laughs) In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Robert G. Allen. How many millionaires do you know who've become wealthy by investing in savings accounts? I rest my case. (laughs) Invest for the long haul, the millionaire way. Carpe diem. (laughs) 